There's a familiar parable in the 25th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, the parable of the talents. You've heard that parable many times. And I want to just read the, the last two verses that have to do with the man who had the one talent and buried it. And I um, will read verses 24 and 25. This uh, message today will be a message that I hope that uh, graduating seniors can identify with and, and benefit from, but it is also a message I think that each of us needs to hear, so don't turn me off and say, well, it's for somebody else today. Verse 24 and Verses 24 and 25, And the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you, where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid, and went away, and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. Have you noticed that nobody can really fail anymore? We are under marching orders from the time we are born to succeed, to succeed. As early as our children are able to listen to anything, we are pounding it in their heads. You've got to succeed. You've just got to succeed. For failure is simply not permitted in our culture officially. And we're wrecking the lives of our children by it, I think. We're forcing them to earlier and earlier into dating and into life because we don't want a child that is a social outcast and we drive them to make better grades, to make good grades, and we cause them to lose a sense of self-respect if they don't, and cheat they do in order to make those grades, and we choose the college that they're going to and the profession they're going to enter into. If they go to college at all, we're going to insist that because Anybody who is successful always goes to college. It's kind of been a cultural response of our time to worship at the altar of the success God. And the creedal statement of that worship is, we can't get behind, we can't let our neighbors get ahead of us. And it's wrecking our own lives. We don't have time for one another anymore or for our children, or to do anything that's really worthwhile in the community or to help others because we're too busy being successful. And it's wrecking the lives of our ministers, as a matter of fact. For the truth is that the church itself has become a big business that has to succeed. And so the great desire for money and numbers subtly forces and drives the minister to success. And some young ministers have recognized that subtle pressure and they've thrown in the towel and revolted against it 
and they are dropping out of the ministry in alarming numbers. And still others have learned to play the game that goes on in the big business of the church. No longer ministers of God. They've become mechanics of the ecclesiastical machinery because we've got to succeed. And we misunderstand the work of God as we worship at the altar of success. I cringe every time I hear somebody say, if you'll be on God's side, you'll always be on the winning team. I guess it, all, it makes what, what, what matters is uh, what do we mean by the winning team. For sometimes to be a Christian means more of a worldly failure than a worldly success. And so I'm going to tell you something this morning that may be shocking to you. You may not have heard this too often from a pulpit. You're free to fail. That's going to be strange, a strange sound, especially on a day that honors graduating seniors where you're going to hear sermon and, and challenge after challenge to goad you on to success. You are free to fail. And what we really need in this time, I'm convinced, is not another philosophy on how to succeed. The paperback book counters are crammed with these shortcuts to success and these, these suggestions on how to succeed. What we don't need is another philosophy on how to succeed. What we desperately need is a... a, a Philosophy that will help us fail creatively. You are free to fail. As a matter of fact, a person is never free until he's free to fail. I wonder if it struck you that that was the problem of the wicked steward in this parable that I refer to this morning. And the excuse he gave for digging in the earth and planting his talent there and doing nothing with it was that he was afraid. Afraid of what? Afraid of failure. And he's everywhere. People who are paralyzed from doing what they could and should do simply because they are not free to fail. You are free to fail, therefore... You are free to be yourself. The truth is, most of us here this morning are one talented people. And the fact is that most of us are not content with being the person we are. We all want to be somebody else, the person we're not. What a pity that some people go through life trying to squeeze themselves into a mold that they were never meant to feel, they will never feel, simply because so paralyzed by the fear of failure, they just can't stand to be themselves, or they don't attempt anything because of their limitations. Have you ever heard it said, well, I can't do that, I'm really... I really don't have anything to offer. I really, I'm not much. Have, as, does that sound like anybody you know? And so we don't attempt anything in a culture where everybody has to succeed. And all the time, God loves you and me and our one talent 
just as much as he loves the man with the ten talents. A man is really free when he discovers that God loves him just as he is. And in responding to that love, he becomes the person he was made to be. I know of no slavery like the slavery that tries to make somebody a person he is not. I'm here to tell you, it would be better for you to be yourself and not succeed quite as much worldly success than it would be to be the person you're not outwardly succeeding but failing where it matters the most on the inside. For God's sake, be yourself. A few years ago, somebody wrote a a popular song about this epidemic that's everywhere around us where a person just can't stand to be himself. He wants to be like his neighbor. And so everybody just kind of looks alike. We want to we want to keep up with everybody else. And the song goes like this. Little boxes on the hillside, little boxes made of ticky-tacky. Little boxes on the hillside, little boxes just the same. And there's a green one and a pink one and a blue one and a yellow one. And they're all made out of ticky-tacky and they all look just the same. And the people in the houses all go to the university And they all get put in boxes, little boxes, just the same. There are doctors and lawyers and business executives, and they're all made out of ticky-tacky, and they all look just the same. And they all play on their golf courses, and they drink their martinis dry. And they all have beautiful children, and the children go to school, and the children go to summer camp and then to the university, and they all get put in boxes, and they all come out the same. And the boys go into business and marry and raise a family, and they all get put in boxes, little boxes, just the same. There's a green one and a pink one and a blue one and a yellow one, and they're all made out of ticky-tacky, and they're all just the same. My friend... I want you to know that God has made you special and you are free to be yourself. For God's sake, be yourself. I wish sometime you could sit in my office in my, behind my desk and just listen to the people who are in jobs they just despise. But they wouldn't quit those jobs because somebody would label them a failure. And I, would, I wish you could just listen to the people who are caught up in this little game of society, you know, trying to keep up with his neighbor. And they're miserable and they're unhappy, but they wouldn't stop playing the game because somebody might label them a failure. When Jesus Christ saved you, he set you free to be yourself. As a matter of fact, it is oftentimes in our failure that we discover our real self. Phillips Brooks wanted to be a teacher. He just dreamed of being a teacher. And he started out being a teacher, but he was a failure. He just bombed out as a teacher. 
And he was so he thought the world had come to an end. He said, I don't know what's going to become of me now, and I don't care. He thought it was the end of the world. He stopped being the teacher, he wasn't, and he became the preacher, he was, and perhaps the greatest preacher that America has ever known. And Frank Laubach wanted to be the president of a seminary, and it was between he and one other person and, and it came down and the other person was selected and he thought he was just robbed of that and really didn't have any reason to go on living. And then he became the teacher of literacy and is known as the man who has taught the world how to read. I tell you, you are free to fail. You are free to be yourself. You are free to fail. Therefore, you are free to follow God. I think I must say this morning and this day when we, all, we worship at the altar of success that Jesus was, according to every worldly standard, a colossal failure. He came into His own and His own received Him not. His own family misunderstood Him. The religious authorities despised Him. His followers deserted Him. One of the disciples betrayed him. An a outspoken follower denied him. His congregation spat on him. And he was crucified on a cross between two thieves and died an ignominious death. He lived 33 years and three years only did he have a ministry and he died a failure. But Jesus could live and die as a worldly failure because He was engaged in something other than success. Now I know what we are told, and I'm speaking not just to graduating seniors, I know what we are told, I've been told, that what we are here for is to be successful and the way you measure success is by houses and land and money and status and position. But I believe that that is not the reason we're here. I don't think God made us and the purpose for our being to add things to our life, junk to our life, and and status to our position, and money to our account. I don't think God created us for that. I think He created us and placed us here and redeemed us in order that we would do His will. And sometimes to do the will of God is going to label you and to be for you a failure. Jesus is an example of it. Somebody told about a bumper sticker he saw one time that, that read, Things go better with God. You know, the takeoff on things go better with Coke. That you get a sandwich and you add a Coke to it and it just, you know, it just embellishes, it makes it taste better. That life is just going to be great, you know, and you can just add God to it and it's just going to be fantastic. Things do... Is that really a true statement? I, I wish you could... I, I'd like to see you shout out to Job sitting on that ash heap scraping his boils. Things go better with God, Job. 
or to Moses as the people murmured as he led them across the wilderness. Sometimes doing the will of God is to fail as far as the world is concerned. Now I want to share something out of my personal experience. I don't think I've done this since I've come here. And uh, I know this is a little dangerous to do this, maybe. But when I went to uh, North Fort Worth Baptist Church, you know, um, that's, that's, a, that's, that's a great church, really. It has a tremendous history and heritage. When the north side and the uh, stockyards and the meat companies in, in Fort Worth were thriving, North Fort Worth was the leading church in Fort Worth, Southern Baptist. And it has a great name and a great heritage and a tremendous seminary following, hundreds of seminary students. And I went there, you know, with fear and trembling, pastor of that church. You know, just a just an ignorant country boy, you know, pastoring in a small town all my life, coming to Fort Worth to the city was something frightening, but to pastor that church was an even greater trauma for me. And it was, it was a successful church, tremendous, tremendous church. And uh, as I began, it, not without its problems, of course, as every church, and not without its pressures, and not without its subtle power structures. But then one day a guy called me on the telephone and he said, Gerald, he said, when you were up here in Durant, you said if we ever got without a pastor there to call you, you'd be in. I said that kind of in jest. But he said, would you be interested in coming to Durant as pastor of First Baptist Church? Would you let us come down and talk to you? And I said, I'm really uh, not interested in coming to Durant. As pastor, I just got here, but I'd be happy to see you guys. And some of them came, I believe Jerry and Jim and, and Charlie, that I'd known when I uh, met when I came here. And for several weeks, really, I struggled with that kind of a thing that was there. And so I talked to some of my friends about it. You know what they told me? You know what they told me, don't you? They said, now, Gerald your career is going to be jeopardized if you leave a larger church and go to a smaller church in a smaller town. You're jeopardizing your, quote, career, end quote. And some of them said this, you know what's going to happen if you do that. This is a true story. They're going, people are going to say, what happened to old Gerald? Or they're going to say, you know, the guy has lost his mind. He's failed. He's a failure. You know, in my study one day when I was praying, I think I really was in the prayer room praying about this thing. It just occurred to me, Gerald, if you're not free to fail, you're never going to be free to follow God anywhere. Of course, now I know that I succeeded. It wasn't a failure. But I had to come to that decision in my life that until a person is free to be what others consider a failure, he is never free to follow God. And I think we need to understand this today, that, that if you're free to fail, 
you're free to follow God, and in your failure, sometimes God is glorified. As a matter of fact, sometimes God is never glorified until we fail. Because as long as we can claim the success and the ability and the reason and the glory, God gets none of it. And it's not an easy prayer to say when you start into, into here to preach on Sunday morning, Lord, if you'll get glory by me just falling flat on my face and forgetting the whole thing and making no sense at all, I'm ready for you to get the glory. That's not an easy prayer to pray. But oh, what freedom comes to the life of a person who says, God, all I'm concerned about is that you get glory. I'm free to fail if that's what it takes. You're free to fail finally, which means that you're free to accept God's standard of success. Now, lest somebody says, you know, and puts out the word in the Daily Democrat or something, my preacher is opting for failure. I mean, my preacher is promoting failure. Lest you get that idea, let me say right away that I don't, I'm not promoting failure. I'm just promoting God's standard of success. And what we call failure and what he calls success are oftentimes far apart. They're two different things. When you're free to fail, you're free to accept God's standard of success. Now, if you want to be successful, there are two kinds, there are two poles of success. One is what the world calls success and what God calls success. Let's consider what he calls success. To God, success is servanthood. You turn sometime to the 22nd chapter of Luke's Gospel, and in that upper room there was a conflict, a controversy going on between the disciples about who would be successful, who would be the greatest. And Jesus taught them this dynamic, tremendous truth that just spills over into this century. And he taught this, that if you're going to be first, you must be last. That whoever is the least becomes the greatest. And that success is measured by service. There was a young Japanese boy by the name of Kagawa. His conversion is a thrilling thing itself. He, was, he grew up in the slums, and he tells in his, in his autobiography, he said, while a rat was scurrying across the scum in the slum tenant where I was staying, I felt the Holy Spirit enter my life. Kagawa became a dynamic and powerful Christian. There are many things about Kagawa's life that are, that are profound and are, that are legendary. For example, one day he moved in to a slum area with blind people in order to help them and got the disease that caused their blindness. At the end of his life, they were going to honor Kagawa. 
And so they rented this gigantic banquet room and they decorated it to the hilt and they prepared for the honor, the honoring of Kagawa. They had his place up on the, on the, on the seat of honor at the head table. While they were eating, somebody looked and saw that Kagawa was gone. It was time to recognize him and to give him the accolades. And so they sent an, uh, 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 an emissary, a runner, to go see if they could find him in the hotel where the ballroom was located. They looked everywhere. They finally found Kagawa. And they came back to report to the banquet hall. I found him on his knees in the washroom picking up the towels to help the janitor. Now if somebody had walked in one of those washrooms to see Kagawa on his knees picking up towels, they would have said, there's a guy who can't do better. But the world knows that that man was never taller than when on his knees serving mankind. For God's standard of success is service. And God's standard of success is faithfulness. And that's what this parable is about. Now I've got to let something come out of my heart. It seems to me that if you have been talented of God with one talent or two, you ought to be faithful to that one. And I look up and down the rows of our church, and I look up and down the class attendance charts of our church, and I look out into the faces of people every Sunday who have been gifted and talented of God who are doing nothing with that talent. and are not faithful to that talent. So that college gr student graduating seniors, be faithful to what God has given you. And then I hear people say, you know, preacher, did you know that you have people down at your church who claim to be one thing, but are not. Now they'll say, you know, Pastor, I would really like to think that all of this makes a difference, but you know, I just don't see any difference in the lives of some of your folk. And so I cry out to you and beseech you today that if you're going to bear the name of God, if you're going to be redeemed by His blood, if you're going to be a part of His fellowship, then be faithful to that name and that God and that fellowship. For God's standard of success is measured by faithfulness. Richard McKenna's little book about a man who, who was really a colossal failure. I mean, he just never made it in life. And he went back to his hometown to die. 
And one day it just happened that he was at a place where he was called upon to give his life rescuing a 13-year-old girl. And as he lay mortally wounded and dying, the doctor bending over him heard him saying in his last breath, it's been a long, weary road, but I now will rest me at the inn where broken dreams come true. I believe that the person who is free to be himself and to follow God and to serve his fellow man and God has found the end where broken dreams come true. In a moment, we're going to ask you to come forward in invitation. Now, when you step out, young people, when you step out, adults, just coming forward, some people will look upon it with contempt. I can never, I'll never forget, I just thought of this. May I share it with you? The only time I ever saw my father rededicate his life in church. He was a proud, private kind of a guy. And one Sunday he went forward. I didn't know why, I was just a young lad. And I can remember him on the way home from church saying, I guess now probably, and he named a few, will probably think I've done something terrible. He was afraid what others would say. Folks, what does God want you to do? What does he want you to do in this church? What does he want you to do with your life? That's all that really matters. You're free to follow him. And if you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, why don't you come and do that today? You'll find folk here that will join you in love and support and affirmation. Are you walking with God? Are you living for Him? There'll be no personal revival until there's repentance from sin. Are you willing to come to say, I want to follow God. I really do. I want to live as He wants me to live. Perhaps you need to come and unite with our church after we've after we've prayed, we'll urge you, we'll beseech, beg you to do that if God leads you to do it.